Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite A-list of food writers. It's about life, culture and politics all through the prism of food. And this week I'm with Olia Hercules, the award-winning food writer who put Ukraine on the map and then found herself fighting to keep its stories in the headlines as Russia raises it to the ground. She's a fighter, this woman, and with her Russian best friend, Elisa Timoshkina, has raised millions through their Cook for Ukraine campaign, which has inspired thousands of pop-ups all over the country, not just to raise that money, but to keep that rich food culture alive in our hearts and minds. A mother of two small children, she's also a juggler. She wrote her latest book, Home Food, Recipes to Comfort and Connect, in lockdown, and created a hugely successful Patreon channel for her endless creative content. I asked her how it feels to bring a new book out in the middle of a war in her homeland. It feels weird, <laughs> is the completely honest answer. You know, what, what can I do? I mean, it's, it's my work and I've, I've worked on this book really hard. And as you say, you know, I started writing it when my son Wilfred was only two months and we've just kind of entered the first lockdown, which was, uh, you know, it, it's that kind of feeling of uncertainty of what's going to happen in the future you know I think as humans we're kind of used to be guided by these some kind of a timeline that you make up in your head and both the pandemic and now this war I guess is forcing me to try and be a little bit more in the moment actually uh, because there's just no way that I can imagine planning for the future I couldn't then and more so now. I mean, it's really interesting actually reading it because it's time traveling in a way. A lot of the work that you've always done has been about really uh, capturing the spirit of your country, really celebrating what it is and really going deep into the culture and, and looking at the food as a way of accessing this place that a lot of us didn't know anything about. The time traveling is, you know, we're reading about a time before the war and you're bringing it to life from your perspective of somebody who lives in the UK as an expat, but bringing together the community and all the memories and bringing your family and your friends from both here and there in a book that you've called Home Food. I mean, it's quite prescient, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, maybe it's the kind of obviously the situation is not the same, but there have been such turbulent changes in everyone's lives and it felt really important to write about comfort and about family at the time. Um, we, you know, I normally would go and visit Ukraine three times a year and then suddenly during the pandemic I wasn't able to go and see my mom and dad and I wasn't able to travel either because, you know, I've always considered myself uh, uh, not just a cookbook writer, but a bit of an anthropologist in a way, you know, I always wanted to tell people's stories and to travel, whether it's Ukraine or Caucasus or, you know, I was planning to go to Central Asia and all of a sudden I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, but it meant that I could slow down a little bit and stay at home and tune in to what I cook at home, why, uh, some dishes that I used to cook but don't cook anymore and kind of to delve into that a little bit and to tell a bit more of my own story, my friend's stories, my family's uh, story and history. So yeah, it was um, it was a therapeutic process, actually. It really helped me. 
I bet. And the subtitle is particularly prescient as well. You know, recipes to comfort and connect. Who would have known that that would have such a different kind of meaning now? Does it feel that you are able to connect with your homeland when you're talking about these recipes now? Or does it make it unbearably sad? A little bit of both, I think. Um, You know, three months ago, it was I only felt unbearably sad. Um, in fact, I couldn't really even manage to cook. Uh, there were feelings of guilt and and actually just no desire to, to cook. Or if, you know, just thinking about, I don't know, things that my mom grows or things that my mom makes just made me feel so utterly devastated because, well, we didn't know what was going to happen in the Kherson region and then my parents left and now we don't know when uh, we will be able to go back so but yeah now I'm kind of going into a different stage I think psychologically so now there's a mixture of things there's a mixture of a sweet kind of nostalgia and a positive feeling as well as this sadness that accompanies it. I mean, you're a fabulous storyteller. You always have been. Uh, You've always had this wonderful sort of anthropological sense of telling stories about your homeland. It feels to me and to thousands, millions of other people that that ability to tell stories has really kept us thinking about Ukraine as a country with people and culture and richness through these last three months. That's been terribly important to you, hasn't it? And particularly through the Cook for Ukraine uh, campaign, uh, which I've been part of as well. I've been doing pop-ups as well, and lots and lots of people have been getting involved in this, largely to keep that real spirit of Ukraine alive. How important has that been to you? And what's the feedback from these thousands of people felt like to you? Incredible. Um, It was I knew that people would support, but to be honest with you, I had no idea that it would be with such feeling and such strength. And, uh, you know, and even if uh, Ukraine is dropping from the headlines, I, I can still feel that people are still there and they're supporting. And it's been not only important to me, but also to my family, because, you know, I would send every time I would see a Ukrainian flag or even a, just a little ribbon on somebody's gate or... I don't know anything it's to do with <laughs> with supporting Ukrainians. The other day we were at a festival, uh, the Fuji Festival in Essex, and um, there was this man with a really big goatee, and it was blue and yellow. You know, it was any any of these little signs I would just send to my mom and my dad and my brother and my extended family, and it would uh, really pick up their morale, you know, and make them feel um, supported. It has been really extraordinary. I mean, I was driving through France um, recently and we were in Orléans. Uh, just we had a stopover and the whole of the central street was covered in Ukraine flags. It was just extraordinary. Um, I think, you know, so many people are, are absolutely with you. Let's talk about your relationship with Ukraine, which has fueled this mission to tell stories about it. You know, you've always done this through all your books. Yeah, I mean, we've told this story in, in when we've talked in the past. I think we first met in 2016 or 2017 for the Delicious podcast. And it was then that you told me your story, which really resonated with me, but also a number of other people told me since. And that was the feeling of not really cooking very much as a child, not really being interested in where you come from and feeling particularly connected. It was leaving it 
And you left twice. You left, well, you left three times, actually. You left to go to Cyprus as a, as a, a teenager, young teenager. You left to come to the UK. And then you left the UK to go and spend some time in Italy. Um, and you bring all those ideas together in home food. But it was that distance that made you feel so connected. Now that you've written about it so much, are you able to understand more about that? That a need to distance before you can connect? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, I've realised that I was able to look at Ukraine a little bit differently because of all of these experiences and living in different countries. But now also that's reinforced by my own family being in exile. I mean, my, my parents have never could never imagine themselves living anywhere but Ukraine, of course. But there are so many friends and, um, and, and you know, extended family that have been, you know, of my generation that have had to leave and they just want to be home you know and if there have been you know because we grew up in the Soviet Union there's always been this kind of uh, you know the the allure of Zagranitsa you know which means uh, the abroad that magical abroad you know because we've been behind the iron curtain for so long and in the Soviet Union, you know, we, we always wanted to get out almost. And now I can see that my own my own family and friends and also Ukrainians that I talk to on social media, they just say, yeah, Europe is nice. You know, the UK is nice and it's nice to visit as a as a tourist. But actually, we just want to be home. Yeah. And you learned to cook um, your way back to yourself when you were first at university and you'd ring your mom and say, um, how do you make that thing that you always used to make me? And it was those conversations that really started, you were doing pop-ups for your friends and getting that feedback. That's really important. I hear that a lot from people who have the same experience. You cook for your friends and your friends go, oh my God, that's just amazing. I've never tasted anything like that. And you go, really? That's what I've been eating all my life. That Really? Is it that amazing? And then you start cooking it again. And you start thinking, well, there's something interesting about it. Home food is an anthology isn't it of your life so far I mean you couldn't possibly have known what it was going to become when you sent it off to press but it brings together your all the influences of your life so far from Ukraine obviously but also the Cyprus that you grew up in your family your aunt Nina half Ukrainian half Armenian and all your lovely friends who you've met in the UK as well. They, they all have their own stories and you, you as the anthropologist really have kept those intact. Was that the main idea behind the book? In Home Food, it felt like a privilege and it felt really good to be able to delve into my life a little bit and collect the stories uh, that have been c- cooked for me for so, you know by so many people. And I love giving credit, you know, I, I there's nothing more that I love than actually talking about the person who's given me the recipe. You know, I'd never pretend, oh, I've just, you know, this is a recipe that I, you know, that I've created or something like that. So I've always been a storyteller and always took pleasure in telling other people's stories. And in Home Food, it was nice to be able to tell my family story because there are still Eastern European stories, but there are also um, stories of my neighbours, stories of my friends and my... Um, you know, people I've um, met uh, throughout my life. And that that felt really, really good. Yeah, it's a real celebration of everything that your life is all about. Let's start going through some of the food moments. You describe the comfort food that is the subtitle. Um, 
as the dumplings your mum telepathically would know you needed when you were coming back from school, a bit tired, a bit low. It's that meeting, isn't it, of need and flavour that equals the experience of comfort. Dumplings are kind of what we associate with the Ukraine. And your first food moment is, is really about the perception. Potatoes, cabbage. Tell me about that. My uh, <laughs> terrible uh, complex about uh, Ukrainian food that I've had for years uh, before I started writing cookbooks, you know, because we, even when I was writing my first cookbook, Mamushka, people would just ask, oh, it's a book about Ukrainian food. Is it about cabbages and potatoes and dumplings, you know, and it would really hurt, actually. And, and but at the same time, be like, oh, maybe it is about that. And then, and then when I started writing Mamushka, I'm like, no, we have herbs and we have color and it's very seasonal and so diverse. It's not about potatoes, you know. So I actually didn't include a lot of the potato and cabbage recipes because I was just so worried about this, uh, you know, deeply ingrained stereotype in the Western psyche almost. So, uh, with home food, I've shaken that off. And I included some recipes that, uh, you know, I thought were too potatoey, too cabbagey, um, six, seven years ago. So my first food moment is uh, very simple fried potatoes and fried onions. So it's a, it's a dish that everybody cooks, probably not just Ukraine and, you know, maybe in other Eastern European countries as well. But what's so beautiful about it is, you know, I went to my mom and I said, you know, the fried potatoes um do you have the recipe for it and she said is that even a recipe i'm like come on just took me through it and she took me through it actually in fact she was here i think she was able to come uh during an interim between a couple of lockdowns and she made it for me and i watched her and um and she said cut the potatoes thinly but don't worry if not all of them are identical you know and she started slicing them and of course some of them were very thin and some of them were a little bit thicker and actually that's the key to the beauty of this dish because when you fry the potatoes so first you fry the onions then you fry the potatoes and some of them become deliciously crispy and some of them become really soft and that's what makes this dish you know so I don't know homely and comforting and delicious I mean it's just something that you you know if you're left with your dad for example for the day and mom is away or something you know that's what your dad would cook for you or this is something that students would cook for themselves you know instead of pasta or something like that so yeah so fried potatoes is uh, the potatoes of my childhood as I call them and in the book is one of my favorite moments you've included a lot of recollections of what home food means to lots of the kind of the luminaries in the food world Jeremy Lee Samaya Rizmani, Yemisiara Basala, who's been on Cooking the Books recently, Elizabeth Luard. Why, why did you do that? What was the idea about that? To be honest with you, I, when we decided to write a book um, from, from home, when I couldn't travel anymore, I just thought, I'm just going to do a hundred very accessible, extremely delicious recipes. It's going to be very simple um, I'm not going to write any essays or do anything that I normally do because it's the pandemic and I've just had a baby and it's extremely hard. So I'm just going to do like this very simple cookbook with recipes. And then it just kind of happened organically, to be honest with you. I, I, I think I, I, just, I just happened to write an essay. I wrote an essay uh, about uh, lime uh, trees being in blossom, just like they are now all around us in Forest Gate here. Um, and it just smelled like honey so intensely. And we've already been living in this house for four years. 
And I just, you know, it was during the pandemic and I just realized how much more observant I suddenly became. And I thought, oh, how come I never actually noticed this smell in the previous years? Why didn't I notice that it's lime tree blossom, which is so Ukrainian, actually, uh, because we have them all over Kachovka as well, and we make tea with it. So I went foraging, and then I wrote an essay about it, and then I just couldn't stop writing. And then I, you know, <laughs> I emailed my uh, my publisher, Bloomsbury, and I said, I know I said I wasn't going to do loads of writing, but actually it's just coming out of me despite the sleepless nights and the, you know, 24-hour breastfeeding, etc. Can I write? And they said, they read it and they said, yes, please go ahead, just write. And then as I started writing, I I, I wrote also about um, this onion moment, apple and onion moment. So I was, um, it was kind of in the evening, dusk time. And uh, Wilfred was, my, my youngest was kind of like really hungry and Sasha, my oldest son, was also getting really hungry and he just said, mom, can you cut, cut me some apple, please? And I was making dinner, so I cut him some apple and I took a little piece for myself and I tasted it and I was like, oh my God, this apple tastes like onion and it really reminds me of my mom. It just, but I was the mom all of a sudden and something clicked in my head and I just thought, oh my God, is this, is this a Ukrainian thing or is it a universal thing? And I started asking friends, if they, you know, if they had a similar, if they knew what I was talking about. So actually, I just went to my best friend Caroline first, and she's from Shropshire. And she said, yes. And not only that, my mom would put it into a little empty margarine tub, and I'd go behind the sofa, and I'd pretend that I'm in the shop, and I'd just have these oniony apples. And then I started asking people, you know, from, you know, just my friends, uh, and, and, and people in the food industry who are my friends, if they had similar moments, not necessarily about apples and onions, but about something else that would feel quite universal, even if the experience would be different somewhere. But I don't know, I feel like childhood, wherever you are in the world, there are little bits that kind of just make you connect with other people. It's a lovely idea because, of course, they're all talking about their idea of home food, um, which again connects us right back to the central theme all the time. These people, these luminaries, um, who all have the same experiences as we all do. It's it's a reminder of, of what food's really all about. And that came into focus during the lockdown, didn't it? Tell us about Parvin and her chicken. Um, so I have amazing neighbours. <laughs> I've always wanted to have amazing neighbours. I've always tried, but it just never happened for some reason. And then we moved um, uh, to this house in East London. And um, it was actually, again, during the pandemic, uh, we had Wilfred and then our neighbours. Um, so we have this um, other family opposite us and Fatima is an amazing baker and he, she just started bringing us cakes. And you know what it's like. So literally just had the baby, extremely tired, stuck at home. And um, and they would just drop these little cakes on the doorstep and we became friends. And then Parvin, who's uh, next next door down, also started bringing us food, but not sweet food, but savory food. And she started bringing this, um, what she calls a Bengali chicken roast Um her and her husband are from Bangladesh, and um, she and it was just delicious. It was so so good, very spicy, but it just a, an, an extremely delicious dish. And she would bring loads, you know, like she'd bring just five kilos of food, you know, like loads of rice, some pakoras, you know, some uh, this chicken, and it was just so delicious that um, I asked her for the recipe, and she said. 
Oh, so we'd, we'd have these little conversations from the doorstep, you know, because we, we, we weren't allowed to, to, to she wasn't, you know, uh, able to come in. And she just said, Olia, after the pandemic is over, please just come over to my house and I'll just teach you how to make it. And she did. And when she did it, I said, Pop, is it okay if I include this in my book? And she said, yes. And so, yeah, so it's a, it's a really nice community here. Um, we're so lucky. Yeah, all of our neighbours uh, are just wonderful and it feels really nice and warm. I actually, unfortunately, I don't know, when in, even in Ukraine, we didn't really have a relationship with our neighbours. I don't know why. Our family, like we have had a huge family who also lived in the same town or in the village nearby. So we were all kind of like tight knit, but we never had that kind of sense of community for some reason. But I'm f- keeping everything crossed that if we're able to come back, that we will kind of build new bridges and, yeah, help the community flourish. Literally building new bridges. Your brother is on the front line um, in Ukraine at the moment and your third food moment is his salad. You can't possibly have known when you sent the book off to press. It would be so amazingly poignant to be talking about his, his salad. First of all, how is he? How's he getting on? How's he managing? So he's good. He's in he's in Kiev and um, he actually got this new um, post. So he's the head of logistics to do with food. Sorry, I don't know what the actual official name for it is, but basically he's responsible for providing food supplies uh, for about 6,000 soldiers, which is quite a job. And, um, and he's doing well. He's saying that it's actually quite hard to find some really common kind of like regular uh, vegetables that you'd put in a borscht, for example. So like beetroot and cabbages, because most of that stuff in huge volume comes from my home region in the south. You know, if Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, then Kherson region is the fruit and veg bowl of Ukraine. And that's been blocked off. So he's having trouble with that. But, you know, a little bit of good news is that a few weeks ago, he managed to find 400 kilograms of strawberries um, which acted, you know, it, it was just a huge kind of source of uh, boost of morale for everyone, I think, because it's a beautiful little sweet treat and, yeah, made everyone feel good, I think. How does he feel about his salad being in the book? I mean, it just must be so weird for you to pass this information on to him, you know, to show him the recipe in the book, and yet he's, you know, in such a different world. I don't know, he's just, he's a very kind of like chilled out person. <laughs> he, he didn't, you know, he, he was just a little bit bemused. He was like, oh my God, why did you put that in? You know, it's just a salad that I made. You know, he wasn't really, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he was just bemused, I think. But um, he, but to me, it's important, the salad, because we, uh, he, he, he came to Kahovka, so that was last August, I suppose. Yeah, last August. He came to my parents' house and he said, oh, look, I make this um, really delicious salad. Uh, he moved from Lviv to Kiev to, and he stayed with his oldest son, who's 21. And Nikita, his oldest son, is actually a good cook, but he cooks really good kind of meat dishes. And Sash loves vegetables. And he just said, oh, we were lacking some vegetables. So he started making the salad. And it's... Um, and, you know, it's a really interesting technique, actually. So even though he says, oh, it's not special, I think it's really special. So like everywhere in the book, it's about those recipes that seem simple. But actually, there's, there's just little technique or little 
you know, idiosyncrasy that kind of like makes you a better cook. And his salad does that. So you, there's an interesting technique for frying aubergines where you cut them into cubes and you dry fry them first. Um, and then at the very end, you add some oil in. So they are kind of like soft and crispy, kind of, but not greasy, if you know what I mean. And then it's, and then you add really ripe tomatoes and the tarragon and basil and coriander and all of these herbs and, and red onion. And it's just like a really delicious salad that I love. Your final food moment is your mother's um, easy honey kraut. Um, we've got to talk about kraut, obviously, because we're talking about Ukrainian food. Um, so this, again, was something that she came up with when she came over in that little lockdown gap. Tell me why you chose this one. Uh, it just was a really sweet and beautiful moment for both of us. So, yeah, my mum came in winter, actually, in December. So it was quite grim and it was, yeah, it was in between the two lockdowns and and um, we and she actually helped me with home food so much. Uh, Wilfred was still little and we had no childcare and she was supposed to come and actually help with childcare, but she ended up testing the recipes and actually even helping me develop some of them. And um, and she just said, you know what, you're so busy right now, you know, the, the traditional way of making kraut some people bash it with, uh, you know, pestle and mortar or something. But my mom normally just goes in with her hands and kind of like massages it into submission. You know what I mean? Like she's really strong. I've always found that really hard to do, the massaging it. And she said, look, I've, th- there's a new recipe. I've got a new recipe for you. No need for massaging. No need for any extra kind of effort. You just create a brine, put, you know, put the chopped cabbage in, put some honey in, some spices, etc." And it's such a beautiful crowd. And she made it. And it was so delicious. We just kind of finished the jar in two days. And we're like, better test it again. I mean, I just wasn't sure about something. So we just kept on making it every three days. And we would just finish the jar. And we watched um, a series on Netflix. And now I can't remember what it was called. It's about a family who lives in on a Greek island in Crete or somewhere. And it was, you know, you could just smell all of the herbs. And it was... Oh, it was just like a really beautiful Greek island dream. We were just really hoping that after everything is finished, that me and my mom maybe can go on a little holiday together. And at the end of a really difficult day of like, you know, testing, especially I think it was the week of all the sweets, like testing all the cakes, we'd be so tired that we just couldn't be bothered to cook anything. And we'd just open a um, tin of um, a tinned fish and my mum would bake a, a, bre- a bread and we'd just put it on the bread and have it with the crowd and watch this Greek set series. And there would be a bit of, you know, dichotomy there. You'd think, oh, we, we should be really watching some kind of a Nordic noir with this meal. But it didn't matter. It was, you know, Nordic on our plates, on our, on our laps. And then we just watched all of the Greek sunshine and the sea and uh, dreamt of the relaxing at some point in the future in the sunshine. So, yeah, that was a really beautiful moment that I'll never forget. Your parents were able to escape, finally, but you had to persuade them, didn't you? One of the ways that you were able to persuade your dad was if you were able to support the people that he was leaving behind in the Ukraine, his staff. And you've been doing this through your Patreon. Tell us about that and then tell us about how your parents are. Um. Yeah, so my parents um, refused to leave. I think my mom could have been swayed a little bit more easier, but she would never leave my dad behind. Uh, my dad has a factory that produces uh, farming equipment and he has 22 plus employees. 
And one of the reasons why he said he absolutely will not leave is because he didn't want to leave them behind. And he said, you know, I'm responsible for them. So, you know, it was never a provision of like, Olya, you have to take care of my people and then, you know, and then I'll leave. It was more like he was just stubborn. He said, I'm not leaving them. And then I just, at some point, I just got so worried and you know, just so scared for their lives because they were actually getting threatening phone calls from the Russians saying that they know that my, uh, that, you know, their son is fighting for the territorial army and he must lay down arms and like give us the keys to your businesses and all of this kind of stuff. Like it was really scary. And uh, and during one of the conversations, like I actually kind of lost it. I had a panic attack in front of them on the video call and I think that scared them. And then afterwards I said, Dad, look, just leave and I will figure it out. I'll figure out a way to pay the wages uh, to everyone that you leave behind. So, you know, they will be supported. Don't worry. Like you, you guys, you know, my parents have done so much for me. They've done, I've, I have this incredible education, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, they've, they've supported me throughout my, you know, being a solo mom and through all of my, you know, troubles in my life. They've always been there for me. So I said, look, this is now my time to help you out and uh, that's fine so yeah so they're okay they managed to get out my dad drove for about five hours um through europe after they eventually uh got out of the Kherson region and um they uh actually ended up in italy where my um cousin who lives in berlin has a house and now and now they're in berlin with my cousin kind of like sorting out all of the papers but um and they're coming here in the week's time so that's amazing it will be good for them to hang out with the grandchildren and kind of just pull them out of the you know of, of the up and downs that um, they're having like i am i'm sure but they yeah they just want to go back home you know it would it would have been an amazing holiday to go to italy and then to come and visit us but when you don't know whether you're going to be able to come back to your home and everything that you've worked and lived for your whole life, thats that must be a really scary thing. And of course, I understand it, but the, for them, it must be, yeah, extremely hard. Tell us about the Patreon. How can people get involved? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, I've been working on this project actually for about six months. And weirdly, I, uh, you know, I was supposed to launch it on the 28th of February. And obviously that wasn't possible because the war started. Um, so I... Uh, professionally film so, uh, videos of me cooking Ukrainian food and more. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like my initially was my bid to just become independent and not, you know, not have to go and pitch for a TV show. Why don't I make my own TV show? And also for a certain subscription subscription level, I also offer one live um, cl- cooking class a month as well. So yeah, initially it was supposed to be just a thing for me to make my bread and butter. And now that my dad is in this situation, I am uh, donating half of the money that I make uh, to his and my mom's actually also employees and some other, a couple of friends and my old English teacher who remain in Kachovka. Uh, because I figured out, um, that if you just keep asking people to donate, you know, there's a limit to that. People, at some point, people just say like, well, I've donated so much, how much more can I do? So now I'm actually just working for the donations, which, you know, I think is, is fair. And it just makes, make, make, it just means that every month I have this money to send to them. So for people who don't know about Patreon, how do you do that? How do you subscribe to your Patreon channel? 
So you go to patreon.com slash Hercules, and then there's all of the information there. So there's an introduction and you read about what you get for each tier. And um, there was one for two pounds a month for people who are unemployed or single parents or students. Um, and then there are different tiers as well. There's a six pound a month, a 10 pound a month, 35 pound a month. And then, you know, the big philanthropist one for those who have the money uh, for a hundred pounds a month. And that all of that goes to uh, support, supporting, you you know, the community in Kahovka in my hometown. But there's loads of information there and then people can uh, read about it and, and see what, I'm, what I offer and where the money goes. It's interesting how it's evolved your ability to tell stories, you know, from your first interest in, wow, people like my food, then maybe there's something to do here. Let's do some pop ups, you know, to writing your books, becoming an observer, Food Monthly, Rising Star, winning the awards at the Fortnum and Masons, you know, and and being absolutely lauded as this voice about the next big thing in a kind of cool media way to then becoming this real voice for Ukraine and you've just recently won a Champions for Change award um, for the work that you and your best friend Alyssa Timishkina who's a Russian food writer have done for Cook for Ukraine. That's been really quite extraordinary hasn't it Um, how it's managed to capture the public imagination. You even write that you're on a mission to tell the stories of Ukraine in home food, which was sent to press before the war started. What is that mission that you have to tell the stories of Ukraine? You know, since actually the war started on the 24th, I am becoming more and more kind of aware of how little people knew about Ukraine you know, I've always, you know, when I wrote Mamushka in 2015, so many people didn't even know where it was on the map, even though it's a country bigger than France. Like it's the, you know, not counting Russia, it's the biggest country in Europe. And Ukraine is rich with the people's stories, uh, its language, literature, uh, the arts. Um, history is so interesting and People just don't really know much about it. They're they're learning more now since, you know, we've been in the news so much. I I wish that it happened for other reasons. But, yeah, I think it's it's since the war war started in 2014, I just kind of came to this realisation that it was really important to bring Ukraine out of that kind of Soviet quagmire because for ages, you know, Russia just kind of dominated with its culture. It uh, it didn't let, uh, you know, it, it suppressed the language and the idiosyncrasies of Ukrainian culture and other uh, uh, countries that belong to the Soviet Union. You know, there was a real imperialist colonial oppression of, um, of, of Ukrainian and other cultures. And it's really time to uh, to tell people about us and about and you know and food is a is a huge part of ukrainian culture it's a massive massive part of ukrainian culture and interestingly that's exactly what the russians are doing again they're forcing ukrainians to speak russian uh in that same sort of imperialist tradition you wrote on one of your instagram posts that it and this is way back um 
when the war first started, you there was a there was an urgency, a kind of a missionary zeal about you that you said it's all come together. I now know what all this has been for. I am made to tell these stories. There was a real energy about it. There's a real impetus. What? What? Tell us about that. Well, <clears throat> I grew up in a family of real storytellers, so my whole life. And usually, actually, it happened during uh, big family lunches. You know, when we, when the whole family would get together. My mom is one of six, so she has, you know, siblings, and then they have children, and they have their own children. So the extended family is really big, and we would get together uh, for big holidays and um, in the summer as well for people's birthdays, etc. My birthday is on the fifth of July, so we'd get together. But also when I was a kid and um, and the adults would sit around the big table and they would just tell stories and sometimes they would repeat and you would just know which story is going to come after which. And there was always this really strong, powerful emotion coming with those stories. They were beautifully told and also extremely, you know, emotionally told. So the adults would be crying sometimes and sometimes they'd be laughing and it'd be kind of, you know, go from one to another, this kind of roller coaster of emotions in, encapsulated around this table. And, um, and you know, there's a saying, it's a Ukrainian national past, pastime to, to, to be anxious, you know, to be worried about something. And, you know, it, it actually does have a, a reason, you know, we're such an open country and we've been through so much and my whole life, I just had this kind of like buzz behind my chest, you know, that something is coming. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's something that I've made up now that I feel like, but I feel like it's I, just, just my whole life. I've been pre- preparing almost for, for, the, for this event. And when it happened, you know, the, after the first kind of initial shock, you just, you just realize, okay, but I know it within my DNA, maybe somewhere my ancestors have gone through it not so long ago. You know, my, my grandparents have gone through such horrific things and I know about them and I've been told about them and I feel them. And even some of the stories I can actually picture in my head as if I was there, you know, I don't know if it's a psychological phenomenon, I don't know, genetic memory or whatever you call it. Or you know, I just imagined it so vividly because the stories were told so vividly. So when the war happened on the 24th of February, I was kind of ready to to go and ready to do anything I can to help my family, my friends and my fellow countrymen and women. Thanks for listening. You can read the transcripts to the show at chilliesmith.com. Just click on podcasts. Please do get in touch on social media. I'm at Cooking the Books with Julie Smith on Instagram, where you can follow my adventures in cookery with Leith's online. Check the show notes and on Instagram for full details to get the Cooking the Books discounts on Leith's cookery courses. And I'll see you next week. Bye.